<laughs> okay, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 today. Uh, oh, we, oh, I got a powerful voice now. I sound like Roy Smallwood talking. <laughs> uh, we're chapter 5 and verse 1. Uh, a little introduction to this one. Uh, Paul's going to talk about sin in the camp. Uh, it's uh, something that happened back in Old Testament times too. Remember Achan who uh, took booty uh, from the city of Jericho and it caused a great defeat when they tried to take Ai. Uh, this situation in 1 Corinthians 5 is the same thing. Okay, And it's a very important lesson. Uh, if you permit uh, sin, one sin, uh, you open, crack the door open to allow more sin to come in, okay? And it will. It always does. Uh, and it's a matter of time before uh, things get out of control. Uh, you, you have to be careful, especially church leaders have to be careful uh, not to let that crack happen. And just shut the doors as soon as it happens. Uh, otherwise, you'll you'll find yourself in a big mess before long, and the church could be lost. And that, of course, is always terrible. Uh, the point he's going to make is that sin cannot be overlooked. You can't do that. Uh, it's our brother, though. I know he's our brother, and we care for him. We love him, and and we we want to have fellowship with him. We want to be a part of us and a, a part of what we do. But he's living in sin, okay? And it's hard. It's really, really hard to have to do this. Uh, but you have to do this, uh, given the sin that the person's engaged in, which is a homosexual, okay? It's a person we all love very dearly, but he's, he's a homosexual. He's a pronounced homosexual. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You have to do something. Well, in this particular case, it's going to be about adultery, but it's a very gross type of adultery where a man's got his uh, daddy's wife. And uh, Paul said, basically he's saying, what's wrong with you people? How, how can you let this go on? So that, that's what we're coming into. You can't overlook sin. It has to be removed. It has to be cut out like a gangrene limb. You've got to cut it off to save the body. And that's what happens with sin. If there's no repentance, you've got to cut it off to save the body. Jericho is the uh, illustration that sticks out in my mind every time I think about this. Israel's first victorious battle uh, in the Canaan land. Uh, Jehovah was with Israel, and uh, they won a, a, a battle by the strong arm of the Lord. You know, the walls fell down, and the Israelites went in and took the city. Joshua 6, 17, and 18, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it, the city, and all the inhabitants who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she, and all who are with her in the house, her people, her family, because she hid the messengers that we sent. That was the reason Jehovah sent a, a, a merciful hand to Rahab. Uh, she sided with God at this time. And you, by all means, 
abstain from the cursed thing, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. If they, um, if they took the booty that was in Jericho, God didn't want them to take it. It belonged to heathen pagans. Don't take it, destroy it. Uh, you don't need that stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll give you what you need. Forget that stuff. Uh, and if you take it, you're going to become a curse uh, to you, to your family, and to the entire nation. Uh, it's a very strong and very solemn warning that God gave. And uh, just think, only one guy violated what God said. You know, that's pretty incredible. You think about the army, how large that army was. No one else took of the booty. And that had been hard to pass up. These people in Jericho, they're pretty wealthy. Uh, that would be hard to just leave that stuff laying there on the ground for scavengers to come in and take, but they did. So even though one man messed up, uh, you gotta be impressed with all those who obeyed God rather than uh, take the accursed thing. Ai was the first battle uh, Israel lost in the land of Canaan. You remember uh, how it went because uh, there was a curse placed upon Achan, and now the camp, uh, when they went to battle Ai, a very small place, should have been easy to take. Uh, they were defeated in their attempt. Israel fought Ai without the Lord's help. That's the reason. God was with them when they fought Jericho. He will be with us when we fight the good fight of faith. But if we permit sin in the camp. If we permit that, if we crack that door, he will remove his presence from us. And then when we go to do battle with the enemy, we'll likewise be defeated. Jehovah will not stay in an unholy temple. He's a holy being. Uh, he's most holy. And in order for him to dwell in us and with us, uh, we too have to be holy and it's a very important lesson Paul's teaching here <clears throat> Israel fought without the Lord and the Lord said to Joshua Israel sinned that's why he didn't fight with them they have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them Joshua's looking around what well, what happened uh, they transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen them, lied, and put them among their own belongings. Well, Joshua, nobody, or I shouldn't say anyone, some people did, but Joshua didn't know anything about it. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They're going to be defeated. I will not fight for them. After bringing them out of Egypt, after sustaining them for 40 years in the wilderness, feeding them, supplying water for them in the wilderness, after keeping them for 40 years, which was a miracle in itself, uh, a great miracle actually, uh, they've now entered the land that God promised to Abraham some 400 years earlier, and uh, they lost this little battle because the Lord wasn't helping them any longer. Because they have become devoted for destruction. That's Israel. That's who he's talking, that's the they in this. 
because they have become devoted for destruction, I will be with you no more. Uh, he won't support them. He won't help them lest they get rid of that cancer unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So they got to find and destroy the uh, devoted things. They found it. A Achan was the culprit. The Lord said to Joshua, Israel is sin. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Who sinned? Achan sinned. But Jehovah said, Israel sinned. One man sinned. And the whole family of Israel now stood accused. And unless they did what they were told to do, they would remain accursed, just like uh, Achan. Uh, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't seem fair, but we are our brother's keeper. Like it or not, we are our brother's keeper. There, there's, nothing, there's nothing easy about approaching someone who is living in sin. I've had to do it a lot of times, and it's not fun. It's not fun. You usually wind up crying with them because uh, it's not fun. It's, it's one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. It's not easy. You know, sometimes people just say, you mind your own business. Well, you are my business. And uh, you don't know how it's going to be. They're going to respond to you, but uh, you've got to try to help your brother. If it was your child, you would, wouldn't you? I would. If one of my children got off track, I'd go and talk to them. And if they told me it wasn't none of their business, we'd have a serious talk about that. Because it is my business. I don't care how old they are. It's like old Bill Cosby used to say on that little TV show, I brought you into this world and I can take you back out. And that's the way I feel towards my children and that's the way I feel towards the church. It's very important because there's nothing worse than losing your soul. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Think about it sometime. Just ponder that thought. It's frightening. It's, it's terrifying to me that someone I love would lose their soul. And it, it happens sometimes and we have to deal with it. But we, we want to prevent it if at all possible. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys, sheep, tent, all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Notice what Joshua took. Everything. Everything. There was nothing that belonged to Achan and his descendants that he didn't take. As a matter of fact, he took the descendants too. There wasn't going to be any sign that Achan ever existed when God is finished. At least so it appears. They brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. All Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. 
Notice uh, the change in language there. Why did you, Achan, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you, Achan, today. And all Israel stoned Achan with stones. Now, this can be accepted in two different ways, I think, rather easily. What about his, his family? Were they stoned? The text doesn't tell us they were stoned. It says Achan was stoned with stones. Then they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. The them could include his family or it may just include his belongings. We can't tell. Uh, there is no way to tell. Uh, I, don't, I don't personally believe it involved his family. Uh, the reason being is the son is not accountable for the sins of the father. Okay? The son is not accountable for the sins of the father. Uh, based on that, uh, I, I, I'm of the belief that his family uh, was not killed at this particular time. They were wounded because of the property that was lost. Uh, they may have been killed. I wouldn't disagree if somebody says they were. I wouldn't take issue with it. I certainly wouldn't be dogmatic because it's up in the air flip a coin. Uh, I just happened to uh, come down on the side where the family wasn't injured. Uh, and the large reason I do is because that's the way I want it to be. Okay? Uh, I, I do have a, uh, an educated reason for believing that. Uh, the son's not responsible for the sins of the father. Uh, and based on that and my personal desire, uh, I don't want him to be killed. I don't know. When we get to heaven, we, we can ask. Is there any comments on that? I think that would have been it. Uh, it that's what I would think. I would think, uh, I would think that as they walk, towards this particular valley, I would think that all, all of Israel was crying with tears. Uh, not necessarily because of Achan, but his family. I mean, whoo, that would be something. Uh, but they would have to witness and maybe participate in the death of Achan. It's like a, 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 a father and a mother if they have a rebellious son and they can't do anything with him and uh, the judge determines that the son has to be stoned to death, the parents have to throw the first stone. We think that wouldn't be tough. You gotta demonstrate whose side you're on and that may have been this situation as well. Uh, it's tough. It's, only, it's mostly wishful thinking on my part. I, I think that's honest. Uh, because that's the way I want it to be. So in my head, that's the way it is.
you disagree, that's okay. We can still be friends. There's no problem, I don't believe. Then they raised over him, Achan, a great heap of stones still there to this day. It could be either way. We, we don't know. But we can uh, wish for what we like. Sin in the camp. One man sinned. All Israel suffered. The Lord would not support them any longer. To have his support, the sin must go away. And Achan had to go. Okay? Now that's the mentality of Jehovah God. Now when you come into the New Testament, he hasn't changed. Some people say the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. It's the same person. He hasn't changed. The God that ordered this, the execution of Achan, is the God we serve today. There's no difference. He's still the same person. He's a God of love and mercy and grace, but he's also a holy person. And he demands our obedience. Now, l let me point out that there's a, a world of difference between presumptuous sin and just a sin because you got mad or because of lust or whatever. Uh, we sin sometimes for a variety of different reasons. Uh, the thing is, uh, it was not a presumptuous sin. We, we, we didn't uh, meditate to do it. We didn't plan it. It wasn't on our calendar that day. Something happened, and we went squirrely in the head, and we did something we wouldn't otherwise do. Uh, is that sin? Yes, it's sin, but it's not a presumptuous sin. And when, when you, you approach the Lord, the Lord will forgive it. Now, a presumptuous sin, on the other hand, like Achan's, he devised a plan to take the stuff, and he hid it in his tent, buried it in the ground. Uh, when you do that, you're trying to pull the wool over God's eyes, so to speak. Uh, you're trying to pull a fast one, expecting that the Lord can't see what we're doing. Uh, and that's what makes him very angry. Presumptuous sins. Uh, probably all been guilty of some along the way. But uh, it's, it's one of those things that as soon as we come to ourselves, we want to repent and head in the right direction. Uh, Achan, obviously, Achan didn't have a bad heart because he took the cursed items of Jericho. That, that didn't make him have a bad heart. He had a bad heart before he took them. Just nobody's seen it until, until it manifested itself in actions. No one knew what Achan was capable of. And then after he stole the cursed things, uh, he was guilty of a very grievous sin. Jehovah, of course, uh, knowing the end from the beginning, knowing the man Achan, uh, did not extend mercy to him. He, uh, he allowed him to be put to death. And uh, in our eyes, that's a very terrible thing. But when you look at it from the Lord's point of view, a very necessary thing, uh, that helped 
the Israelites see the light, at least for a spell. Okay, now, take that same God and apply him to the church today. There's no difference. Sometimes I think we get that old God, Old Testament God, New Testament God confused, but he's still the same person. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Sexual immorality defiles the church. It's not adultery. It's sexual immorality. Uh, sexual immorality and adultery aren't necessarily the same thing. Uh, adultery is sexual immorality. But it isn't the only thing that is sexual immorality. Uh, think of uh, sex sexual immorality as a corporation. And under this corporation, there are various businesses. Each of these businesses uh, are doing their own thing. Uh, business Z over here is uh, going bankrupt. And they decide to cut this business loose. Uh, this is so the corporation's not going to suffer more loss. Uh, it, sexual immorality is the umbrella. Uh, under the umbrella are various actions that people engage in that are sexual immorality. Okay? Uh, sexual immorality is uh, having sexual relations uh, when you're not married. In our culture today, it, on TV at least, it seems like it's expected that such things would go on. Uh, some versions say fornication, the word fornication. Fornication, sexual immorality, they're the same thing. Uh, why haven't you moved in together yet? And nobody ever says, well, we're not married. If you say that, you sound silly. Uh, today, it, 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 it's so common that it's hard to teach our children uh, right and wrong because the world says, hey, it's right. And uh, Jehovah says, of course, it's, it's wrong. He calls it sexual immorality. So you got, a, you got a case where a person, two persons who are not married can be engaged in sexual immorality. Uh, you have a case where a person can be engaged with a married person who is uh, their friend. Uh, that is sexual immorality. It can also be called adultery because a married person is involved. Whenever a married person in, is involved, it's adultery. Okay? Uh, you got homosexuality. Okay? It's not with a woman or a woman with a man. It, it is what it is. And uh, that's sexual immorality. Uh, another thing that's popular now is uh, bestiality. Uh, using animals for that purpose. That is sexual immorality. Under the umbrella of sex, sexual immorality, there are, there are many little things going on. 
uh, adultery is only one of them. So sometimes you may be talking about adultery, which involves a married person. And sometimes you may just be talking about sexual immorality, where it involves two individuals uh, who are married to no one. It's all sin, okay? It's all sin. And that's what Paul's going to deal with, sexual immorality. Uh, he has to do it a lot. And when you read his writings, you always notice it. Uh, he, he, he talks about it a great deal. Uh, John the Apostle, when he wrote the book of Revelation, uh, he, he referred to sexual immorality a lot. Why? Because the empire was given to it. Uh, it was kind of like the United States is now. Uh, it was kind of strange to be married. It was more right if you just tried each other out for five years and see if you like that model you got or not. Uh, if you want to get married, fine. If you don't want to get married, that's fine. doesn't matter. Uh, that's kind of where the Roman Empire was uh, throughout the book of Revelation. And God uh, punished Rome. And that was one of the sins he punished them for. It is actually reported uh, that there is sexual immorality among you in the church. And such sexual immorality, such a deed as is not even named among the Gentiles. The Gentiles wouldn't even pull a stunt like this, and they'll do anything. I mean, homosexuality was big time in Jesus' day, big time. Uh, and Paul says even the Gentile wouldn't do what's going on at the church of Corinth. What a man has his father's wife, okay? Uh, was it his mama? Uh, the text doesn't say so. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, it was his father's wife. It may have been a stepmother. Personally, I think it might have been a stepmother. That's just my opinion. It's like my nose. I got one nose and I got one opinion on this matter. Uh, he probably took a liking to his daddy's wife. And he uh, took her for himself. And they were still going to church. You got daddy in the church, and you got the son with his daddy's wife in the church, and everybody's having a good time. You know, they were good people. They were holy people. They were religious people. They were doing all the right things. They were having good fellowship. You know, everybody was happy. Everything was fine. Nothing wrong. And that's the situation Paul's addressing. You are puffed up, celebrating. Their success as a bride of Christ doing well you're puffed up and have not rather mourned uh, in Matthew 5 and 4 after Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit in verse 3 he said in verse 4 blessed are those that mourn uh, poor in spirit is to be uh, destitute in spirit it's to be broken in spirit it's to realize that we're sinners and we have no hope of salvation to be completely bankrupt. Uh, and because we are completely bankrupt, it's only natural that the next beatitude would be blessed or the mourn. You, know, you realize that you're a, you're a sinner, you have no hope of salvation, uh, you're, you're destined for eternal condemnation. What do you do? You mourn. You don't go out and have a party. 
you mourn because you realize what your lot in life is. Well, Corinth, why aren't you mourning? Don't you realize how the Lord looks at you? Don't you realize how the churches of Christ look at you? Why are you puffed up given your situation? What were they thinking? Uh, I don't know. Uh, we discussed sexual immoralities, not even named them. I forget these little lines are going to pop up. A man having his father's wife. You were puffed up? You have not read him mourn. Okay. I'm going to start making these things move without me telling them to move. I forget they're there. Uh, section 2, verses 2b through 5, uh, the method of discipline. You got sin in the camp, okay? Well, what are you going to do about it? Paul's fixing to tell us. Uh, you are puffed up, have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed has his father's wife might be taken away from among you. They ought to be crying that this rascal's in the worship service of God. He shouldn't be in the service with God. And instead of feeling like all is well, you ought to be overly concerned with this situation. It's a cancer in the church. What are you going to do about it? You might be taken away. He, this is what you ought to be. I want him gone. I want him moved out. If he's not going to repent, if he's not going to give his daddy his wife back and repent of his sins against God and his daddy, put him out. Get him away. From, look at what the children are looking at. Everybody's talking. You see, Brother Something's only got his daddy's wife. Ah, that's okay. She's closer to his age and daddy's age. No telling what all people were saying to each other. And he got all them little ears everywhere. They listen to everything. They, you know that. They hear everything. They hear things I haven't even said yet. They're sharp as a tack. What are they going to think? It's very important. For I indeed is absent in body, but present with you in spirit I have already judged as though I were right there with you Paul was writing from prison he was in Rome he's writing to Corinth he said I've already judged this matter I've made a determination what should be done he said I'm not there at Corinth I'm here in Rome but I've already made judgment because I know this is not good. This is sin, and you should have done something about it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of God, uh, they were endowed with gifts of the Holy Spirit, of course. Uh, they were given not just permission, they were given uh, instructions that are fixing to come up. Deliver such a one to Satan. Now, of course, you can't deliver him to hell. But put him out of the church. He's no longer a part of the kingdom of God. He's now a part of the kingdom of Satan. A lot of Christians are citizens of the kingdom of Satan. There's many, many, many Christians who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
Yes, they are Christians. They have dual citizenships, if you will, but they no longer serve as citizens in God's kingdom. They might be the sons and daughters of God's kingdom, but God has cut the Gordian knot, so to speak, and now they are citizens of the kingdom of Satan. Deliver this person to Satan. That's how you do it, by putting them out of the church. You can't come back until you repent of your sins. You can't be a part of this fellowship until you repent of your sins. We will not tolerate this. For the destruction of the flesh, that the flesh might be destroyed, that his spirit may be saved. This is the only chance the guy's got. It's the only hope he's got. This is his life raft. When they put him out of the church, they threw him a life raft. He could think about what's happened. He can think about what's taking place. He can own up to the fact that he did a very stupid thing, and he can repent of it. That's the only thing that's going to bring him to repentance. As long as you continue, continue to fellowship him as you do, he's never going to come to the reality of what he's done. He's going to bury his head in the sand and live his life that way. And when all things are said and done, he's going to go to hell. You can't let that happen, Corinth. You've got to put him out of the church, deliver him to Satan, if you will, for the destruction of the flesh, that in the end his spirit may be saved. <clears throat> in the day of the Lord Jesus, that's uh, the day of his visitation, the day of destruction, for the individual at least. Okay, uh, now we go to verses 6 through 8, the reason for discipline. Your glorying is not good. It's not good to glory when you have sin in the camp. It's not good. You're, we're supposed to mourn sin, not glorify it. Uh, it's not good. Your goring is a bad thing. Look where your wisdom has brought you in allowing this man to have his father's wife and still continue to behave as though he was a brother in fellowship with you. Your tolerance is worn like a badge of honor. We are loving people. We're kind. We realize he's wrong, but we love him so very much. And we believe that it's best to just put our arm around his neck, show him how much we love him, head on down the road. That's the, the left stance on everything. It doesn't work. All you do is embolden a person when you allow them to continue in sin, when you do not deal with it approach the subject of the sin. It's worn like a badge of honor. There's nothing Christ-like about your behavior is what Paul is coming to. Your goring is not good. Jesus isn't goring. Jesus is mourning because one of his sons has fallen and he's mourning. You should be mourning too if you are a son or daughter of God. Do you not know that a little leaven is going to leaven the whole lump? Leaven and yeast, uh, I've read about this one time. Uh, you put the yeast in the dough, and the yeast makes the dough rise. It permeates the dough, first of all. And then when you put it in the bake and you let it shake, it becomes a loaf of bread. 
That's the purpose of yeast or leaven, if you will. Leaven, yeast, same thing. Uh, and you have bread at the end. Well, there's also leaven that's bad. Uh, the bread is good leaven. Donna, I like her bread. Uh, good leaven is used in bread. Uh, but there's also bad leaven. Uh, figuratively, uh, we read about uh, the influences that the leaven is going to have on others, as I mentioned a moment ago, on the children, for example, or even on other people, or even on people who are not members of the congregation. Well, they got somebody in that church that uh, is living with his daddy's wife. If you can get away with that and go to heaven, I'm all in. I'm just a drunk. And, and somebody pops in and says, hey, I want to be a member of this church because you'll love me even though I'm a drunk or cheat, or liar, or drug user. Because none of them things in our minds is as bad as having your daddy's wife. That's way up there at the top. And if he can go to heaven, well, we can all go to heaven. That's what happens. The leaven is an influence for evil. It can also be an influence for good. Uh, as demonstrated uh, in the church. Uh, another parable Jesus spoke to them, Matthew 13, 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, yeast. Uh, how, in what way is the kingdom of heaven like leaven? Uh, a woman shall take and hide in three measures of meal till all it was leaven, like the bread I baked a minute ago. Okay. The kingdom of heaven came into the world. And since the time the kingdom came, it's been permeating the earth. The teachings of the Christ, though not accepted by all people by any stretch of the imagination, nevertheless has affected most people on the planet. His teachings uh, are so powerful that even some, his staunchest enemies have read his writings and gleaned from the man as to how to conduct themselves, how to view and understand other people, what makes people tick, all kinds of psychological things uh, is pointed out uh, by the gospel of Christ. Uh, it's, it's permeated the whole earth. And the hope is, of course, one day, all people would obey the gospel. The man had his father's wife. His leaven is going to infect the church. It's an influence or evil. It's going to affect everybody in the church. Some people are going to be angry because such a sin exists in the congregation. I don't like worshiping with a man who has his daddy's wife. I just don't like to do that. Sister Sarah said, I don't think it's right. Another person, well, could be worse, I guess. Could be his mama. I don't know that it's so bad. The church is going to be affected for it by it in a, in a bad way, not a good way. And it's got to be removed. The sin becomes sin to a great many people in the congregation, and the congregation uh, 
will die as a result. Uh, I'm going to run out of time. I don't know if I ever told you all before, uh, there was a church, I can't remember what it was, but uh, they had, I think it was 800 and something members. And I was talking to the preacher at uh, Polishing the Pulpit one year. And uh, he was telling me about the congregation that the elders, uh, they wanted to bring in a youth minister, you know, to take care of the kids. And uh, he, he's an older preacher, and he said, well, I don't know if that's such a good idea. You know, a lot of times youth ministers are uh, the source of a lot of problems. And they said, no, 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 it'll be good because he'll entertain the kids and all that. So they, they, they disregarded what he said. They brought in the youth minister. And uh, I can't remember how many years it went on, three years, five years. I don't remember. Three years, I think, for some reason. But uh, at any rate, uh, things got so bad that the elders had to uh, let the youth minister go because the things the children were involved with shouldn't have been going on. Well, when, when uh, the youth minister left, there was like three or 400 members that left with him. They had a solid church of 800. Well, he said that was his bragging number. He said probably 500's pretty good. Uh, and then after this happened, after this influence permeated the church, uh, three to 400 people uh, left. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Don't kid yourself. Don't ever forget that lesson. I'm gonna die one day, and one day I'm not gonna be up here with my mouth talking. Remember these things, please, because it's the truth. <laughs>